you've been here over the last two months, you've maybe wondered um, if I thought there was a different book than the book of Genesis in the Bible. Uh, today, there's some good news. We're going in a different direction. We're going to start a new series. If you're new here, my name is Blair. Uh, the process for us coming up with a new series uh, starts with ideas generally. We'll get in a room and together and we'll start asking the question, what's going on in our church, what's going on in our community or the nation that we think God might be concerned about? And then we'll just make a list of ideas. And then uh, it kind of goes into what I call a stewing process, where it, uh, it kind of sits there. and We don't make any decisions about it. We pray about it. We think about it. We talk about it. And we let the Holy Spirit have some play with what's going on there. And in some cases, what happens is a small idea starts to grow, like it starts to irritate and get bigger and bigger, and you're like, hmm, there might be something here. That's exactly what happened with the series that we've got planned. It started with just a small observation that we made about the world. But as we started uh, paying attention to it, we realized maybe it, it was something bigger. The small observation was this. The generations um, right now in our country do not get along with each other very well. We just made that observation. They, they, they're not, like, communicating well with each other at all. And it's not like the normal stuff. Like, when I graduated college, I'm at the top of Gen X. And I heard as I was graduating from college that my generation was the least caring generation they'd ever seen in their lives. We were the worst, right? They don't care about anything. They're not signing up. They're not volunteering. They're, not, they're the worst. But that's okay. I just had to wait 15 years, right? Because as soon as the millennials came along, I don't know if any of you millennials have heard this, but you're the biggest spoiled group of humanity that's ever existed. You're the worst, right? You've heard this, right? It's okay. You just have to wait just a little bit because there's a generation coming up right behind you and somebody's going to figure out what their shared thing is and they're going to be the worst, and just in case you think we left the boomers out because they're, look, come on, Woodstock, they, right there out there protesting, they were definitely the worst at the time. That's been going on forever. But what's changed is they're starting to be conflict both ways. I'm hearing this from younger people that those people are the worst They're the ones that are causing our nation to be this way it is. And there's all kinds of ugly conflict going back and forth. You want to know why I think um, maybe this is happening with all of this stuff? There's one thing that's changed that's really different. Social media now um, gives you an avenue to take an opinion that you would once think about and then keep to yourself. Now you think about it and you post it. Now, I, I, I'm kind of on the side where I think it might be wise to think before you post it. See, in the past, you would have opinions. Everybody's had them. Those have been around forever, too. But sometimes, I know this is weird, you kept it to yourself. And other times, you would only say it to people that you were friends with or close with, and they would push back on you, but it wouldn't harm the relationship. You could still talk with each other, but we are now posting whatever opinion we want to the world. We don't know who those people are. We don't look them in the face when we give the opinion. We just send it out there. And don't worry, they send it back. 
And the conflict goes up and up and up and up. And as I thought about this, um, God kind of said, listen, that's not the problem. It's a symptom. It's a symptom of a really big problem. I would tell you it's a symptom of something that's essential for us as a church. See, what God had in mind for us to gather together is that we would be able to do together what we could not do apart. That's what the church is. We're on a mission to accomplish for God things that we could not do if we were by ourselves. And it's just this simple. If we want to be the church that God had in mind, we're going to have to experience unity. A sense of oneness. This is, it's pretty cool, this idea, that we would have to have some unity. It, it's described God himself in Deuteronomy 6.4, where he talks about, it's the Shema, it's a Jewish prayer that is said often. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is a sense of unity, of oneness, of like-mindedness that God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus have together. You couldn't tell them apart because their sense of unity on this kind of stuff. And that's supposed to be us? Look, um, this could be your first day. This could be your seventh year. It doesn't take very long to walk around and have conversations with different people at Waypoint to realize there's a lot of different people in the room. Right? There's a lot of weirdos here. I'm one of them. You're, something's not normal about you, and we're all together, and you have to start wondering, how is this possible? How is it possible for a group that's this different to have you unity? Some people will say, and I've heard them say, it's simple. We have Jesus as the common denominator. As long as we have Jesus, everything will be fine. Is that why... In the United States alone, there's over 60 denominations and 39 spiritual communities. They don't even want to be associated with a denomination. They're just calling themselves a spiritual community, but there are movements that are happening in the U.S. that are going on right now. That's 99 different ones. I don't think unity is so simple. More to the point, I think I can prove to you just how difficult unity will be for us by just doing one thing. Luis. Every time Lies on my face getting clearer. The past is gone. Like us to dawn. Isn't that the way?
I wasn't sure if that was the end, but you're leaving the stage, so it is? Okay. It just kept going and going. You know what I have to do to find disunity in the church? All I have to do is play music. Right? 
How many of you are out there thinking right now, where's the country song, right? Hey, we love Jesus here. No, just kidding, just kidding. No, don't come talk to me afterwards about that, right? Look, if you want to have an old-fashioned street fight in the church, bring up music. Bring up the genre that you like, the style inside the genre that you like, the volume, right? And it's on. And, and it's, it's embedded in every generation. See, music, music is just a part of us. And unless, unless you have all come to your senses right now and are willing to agree that the 80s produced the best decade of music ever, then we're probably not going to experience unity right now. Right? So here's, here's how this works. Music is just a part of this. Have you ever wondered how these generations end up being divided like this? How do you, what, what, is, what goes into it? Well, people have done a lot of research on this, and there's some different things that those groups of people share. One of, and, and they're big. They're not going to go away. They're not going to change. One of those things is they're parented differently. The parents got the same information, the same advice at the same time. They were trying the same stuff. And so they raised their kids very similarly. Although you know, even if you have close friends, that that's not enough. Because you have friends who, who raise their kids a little bit differently than, than you do. And you're the same age. It's because there's even more to it than that. My brain forgot what it was though. Oh, there it is. There's outside influences too, like, how did I forget, music. You all share that same kind of thing that you grew up with, hearing ideas presented in music or culture. There were things that were just happening at the time that were just a part of who you were. And then there's experiences. Shared experiences were a big deal. And just so you understand, it causes you to see the world in a different way. For the boomers, they went through the Vietnam War. So their experience of all of that colored their world of what they saw stuff. The Xers, we were there when they tore the wall down in East Germany. And at the end of the Cold War came, and it was a different world. And we have a different sense of the world than others did around us. For the millennials, they came of age, either around 911 or in the shadow of that. And for many people, they have not known a world that's been not at war with terrorism for the longest time that they can remember. This is just the way it's been. And the generation behind them, the, the thing that's influencing them was the Great Recession. They are a combination of some weird stuff right now. The, the researchers are reporting that they are the most risk-averse group of people they have ever seen. They're terrified of all kinds of stuff that might put them at risk. But they're also a group that has the highest level of reported desire to be in business on their own, entrepreneurial. And last I checked, those two things seem to be in conflict. I've not yet once talked to a business owner who said, I'm glad I did that, was the most stable decision I've ever made in my life. Right? But why are they that way? They're that way because they watched a whole bunch of people that they cared about struggle to find work. And they realized, man, if I want stability, I'm probably going to only be able to rely on myself. And so 
now to have that sense about the world. And so you see this weird, I have a son who talks this way. He's trying to get experience so he can do his own thing. And he's in that, he's in that last generational group. Why? Well, what do you do then? What do you do? Because the stuff that I just talked about, it does not go away overnight. And it's not shared by all of us. And yet, we find the scripture saying this kind of stuff to us. This is uh, Peter writing. And Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.8, Finally, all of you, nobody's left out, all of you be like-minded. What? Unified. In sync. One. Be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. He's calling for us to do something that seems impossible. He's not the only one. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. He says this in verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's this thing that the spirit of God wants to do in us that provides us unity. And yet you got to wonder, how? How can this happen? It might be easier to see why it should happen. Because in the same section of scripture, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul goes on to give us a little more color. He gives us a little more information about why this is so important to him. He says this in verse 12. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I want you to have this sense of unity together so that you can serve so the body of Christ can be built up. And then he goes on in verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What he has in mind is that we would have a sense of unity about us that changes the way we serve, changes the way we connect, changes who we are. And this is why I think it's such a big deal. It's essential for us. Because if you were to evaluate right now, just evaluate your little world, where you go to school, where you go to work, uh, the the activities you do when you're done with all of that stuff, the people that you're around, and I just want you to ask this simple question. With, those, with that group of people, do you see more unity or strife and discord with that group than anything else? Now go a little wider, because maybe you found that. Maybe you found that sense of unity with a small group. But if you were to look at our state right now, you look at our counties to the next to the county next to us, next, um, south, north, how do you think we're doing as a state? Is there a sense of unity in our state? How about our country? How does Indiana relate to California, relate to New York, Texas? I mean, we don't have to go that. How do we relate to, relate to Kentucky, right? Would you say that there's a great sense of unity what about the world? See, here's why I think this is a big deal. What God had in mind for us was something that if we could get right would be put on display for the world to see, to say, that's wild. 
How do they do that? How do all of those people with differing views, differing opinions, different generations, they see things differently. How are they able to work as one? How are they able to be like-minded? That, that gets interesting to me. And I think it's also answered, ooh, sorry, it's also answered um, in this section of scripture with the how. We know why. I think we're supposed to put our unity on display for the world. But the how starts to get answered by Paul here as well. Because he's writing Ephesians 4 and halfway through 5. And he's talking to us about what it takes for us to walk worthy of the fact that Jesus sacrificed for us. Saying, listen, if he made this sacrifice, this ought to be the response of your lives. And he starts going through this. And in the middle of chapter 5, it appears like he takes a left turn. It's, it seems weird because he starts talking about marriage all of a sudden. And people have looked at that and said, well, it, it's, it's two possibilities. One, he wants people to understand that if they're going to honor God, it's got to honor God in that sense of relationship too. And so he starts talking about marriage. But there's a whole other group of scholars who have said, no, what's happening here is that Paul is trying to use a picture of something that we know to help us understand what the church is supposed to be like. I happen to think um, it's really valuable for both of those things. I think in Ephesians 5.21 to the end, you're going to find a picture of what it looks like for a healthy marriage. And at the same time, God was saying, listen, once I give you this picture, I want you to understand there's some crossover here. Because we're, as a church, supposed to be seeking unity, a like-mindedness, which seems impossible. But do you remember what God said when he established marriage? That they would become what? One flesh. It's the same idea. And there's some crossover stuff going on here that when we start to put things together, we can use something that we know to help us with something that we struggle with. And I would say that right now in our country, we're struggling finding a sense of unity with each other. And we can, and some people are going, oh my word, you're going to use marriage as the example? Great balls of fire, right? No, we're going to use healthy marriage as a great example. We're going to use the scriptures for this. Now this morning, what I want to do is I just want to start with some big ideas that they share as crossovers. And in the next three weeks, I'm going to step into Ephesians 5, and we're going to look at some specific things that God says, look, you need this in your marriage. And when you understand how valuable this is, it becomes a picture-perfect crossover back to us having unity in the church. And we're going to do that three different times over the next three weeks. But first, I want to just talk about some big ideas because, again, there's just normal conflict that happens with us having different views Music is just a small part of that. We were raised differently. We think differently. We have different experiences that have brought us here. So when we start to have conflicts, what often comes to mind are two words that we think will help solve the conflict. Is it these two words? I've discovered that has not worked very well in a relationship, right? And it doesn't work very well here. It's a different two words. It's these two words. Hard work. Hard work. Now, um, when it comes to marriage, I've heard some people say, you don't actually need hard work, it's easy. 
And I've heard those people, and I've concluded there's three possibilities, right? One, um, somebody has decided early on in the relationship that they're just going to say yes to everything somebody else wants. And it makes everything go really well. Two, the, another possibility is they've been beat down over a period of time and they've realized saying yes to everything somebody wants is the best avenue so now we don't fight because nothing comes up. Or three, they have no passion for anything in life. They don't care about anything. And so they can go with whatever happens and there's no skin off the teeth. Now for the rest of us, that's not possible. Because I care about stuff. My wife cares about stuff. And so we have conflicts. And what we've learned is when that happens, it requires hard work. It requires communication. It requires actually listening to the other person. It requires adjustments on my part and on her part for us to actually work together. And I just want to suggest to you that that is the same that's true about church. It's hard work. Churches have struggled with this so much that if you'll pay attention, if you'll watch, there are many churches that now huddle around a simple generation because it's easier. There's a generation who goes to this church. There's a generation who goes to this church. And what happens over time is that church grows, ages with that generation, dies, and then another one has to spring up because it just serves that generation. But if you want to do something crazy, you put them all in the same pot and you try to find a way to make them work together, to listen to each other. And it's hard because at some point, somebody's going to have to defer to somebody else. And what I've discovered more often than not is that most times the older generation will have to defer to the younger generation and they have to make a conscious decision that they're going to accept music that they don't love styles of things that they don't like so that the next generation will engage in a different way. And it's hard. It's grating. It rubs you wrong. And, but we choose it. We choose it just like we would in a relationship where you are passionate about something, somebody else is passionate about something, but you realize if I don't work hard at this, the thing that we want the most, a healthy relationship, will never have. And so you work. You work at understanding. You defer. You make those choices. Um, Waypoint is a very diverse generationally. We have loads of kids in our youth ministry right now. We have a lot of millennial. We have a lot of Gen X. And we have a lot of boomers all attending. And which means there's just great opportunities for us to find conflict and also real opportunities for us to work hard to find something great. So if we're going to do that, though, we got to get this second idea right because sometimes we have the wrong idea about unity and it causes problems. Here's the second idea. Unity does not mean that we agree on everything. Tracy and I shop differently. I, um, over the last week, I had an ability to think about this quite a bit, and I've defined, I have now a description for the way I shop. I call it strike force shopping, right? I do recon before I go, that means I have a list. I go into the store, 
I get the thing that I want, and I get out, right? I get out of enemy territory as fast as possible. I was shopping yesterday. I saw Amy Swartz from Waypoint at shopping. I said hi to her. There was no conversation. We were in enemy territory. I'm out of there. If my wife was there at the time, she'd have been horrified. What are we doing? We need to spend a half an hour with her. No, we're out of here. Like I had my son. I just drug him through the store. This is what we do. My wife. I don't know how to describe it. My wife likes to touch and smell everything. <laughs> Listen, I, I was perplexed about a month ago. On my list, we had written peas, frozen peas. We were at the place where you could get frozen peas. This is how I would do it. Right? Not my wife. They're the same weight. They're all frozen. What's happening here? And she, she would open the door. She would pick up a bag and go, nope. Reach to the back and get it. I was like, do you know? You can't smell frozen peas. There's no, what are we doing here? Put it in the bag and go. One of the worst things that will happen is if we see another person, she'll be like, We just lost a half an hour, man. Or worse, I, I call this flitting. I don't know what else to call it. The worst thing that could be said is when she looks at me and says, I'm going to go over to that side of the store and get one thing. You keep working on your list. I'll come back. She never comes back. I find myself parked in a main section, a main intersection of the grocery store, hoping that maybe when she wanders around, she'll see me and then come to me. Like, I've waited at main intersections of a store for 15 minutes before, thinking, I hope she's alive, right? <laughs> maybe she left the store. I don't know what's happening right now. This is very nerve-wracking. All that's going on is she's flitting, she can, she can go into a store and be there an hour to two hours doing what? I have no idea. I could do the same thing in 15 minutes. Now, here's the problem. Three weeks ago, I got into a little bit of trouble when I said, quote, I do not enjoy shopping with you. <laughs> right? Now, I didn't do that to hurt her feelings. I did it because we would go in and just go through all kinds of stuff. And we had to have a conversation that came to an understanding. But here's the thing. The understanding that we had to reach wasn't that she had to shop like me or I had to shop like her. It's that because we were together, we had to find a way to do this thing together. That's hard. But it's not Oh, now that we know what the problem is, you're just going to shop like me. That's not what we're after. That's not what unity is. Unity finds a way to respect that she's different, radically different than I am. And that when I'm with her shopping, I've got to be 
different with her. Can I just tell you that is the same thing with you and I in the church. The, the people sitting next to you look at the world different than you do. They have the same scriptures. They're going through different experiences, and they're trying to process all of that. And they're going to say stuff that doesn't completely make sense to you. But you have a chance to realize it's not about them agreeing with me on all of this stuff. That's, that's not going to happen, and it's not required for us to still have a sense of unity. What is? It's number three. If you don't have to agree on everything, what do you need? You need shared values. Because the thing that happened in the little argument that Tracy and I had with shopping was that she pointed out that part of the problem was that when I was talking about her shopping and what I wanted to experience when we went shopping together, that I wasn't kind about it. And I think it's fair for her to expect kindness from me all the time. If you notice in the scriptures when um, Peter said, listen, I want you to have a sense of like-mindedness with each other, then he says this. He wrote these words. Of course, I can't find it. I'm good. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Yeah. If you want to be like-minded... You're going to have to decide that I'm going to be compassionate towards this other person. I'm going to be loving. You might have a different opinion, but can you be sympathetic that allows you a sense of unity, a sense of oneness? There are values that we can share, must share as a group of people. And, I, and I'll tell you what, when you watch a church fighting over stuff that doesn't matter, the thing that the thing that's the worst is not that they're fighting over paint or the color of paint or whatever, the carpet color or whatever it is. It's the fact that they have thrown off the values that we share with each other because we're in Jesus and they don't appear anywhere in our actions or mouths. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys know this or not, Waypoint has some values. Uh, we think they reflect who we are, and when we fail, and we do, we would say we have failed to live up to the values that we hold ourselves to. I, I want you to know what those are, because I think they can become a groundwork for us, finding a sense of unity together. The first one is just being genuine. Just, it's okay for you to be you. In fact, this is, this is why this is so important for us to talk about unity. It's almost impossible for you to be you if you are afraid that you have to be like everybody else in order to be accepted. You can be you here. You can tell us what you think. We aim to do the same thing. We try to be honest when we talk and when we teach. We're not perfect. We know that. We're not going to play that game. We make mistakes. I upset my wife because I wasn't caring to her. I wish that hadn't have happened, but that's part of what is the story of my life. So we want to tell that with each other, which means you can have an opinion here. Just follow the second value. See, we also want to be a place that cares about the spiritual, emotional, and physical needs of each other. 
And when you decide that your opinion is more important than genuine caring for other people, or the way you presented it has no ounce of caring whatsoever, you're making a mistake. You're violating the very thing that gives us strength, a sense of oneness. And so we're trying to find a way to have this sense of caring for each other, and we all have to carry it. Third one is just relationally connected. There's no one size that fits all. We don't know how that looks for different people. Some people serve. Some people are in groups. Some people come and worship together. That's their sense of relational connectedness here. They talk with people. But there's something for us in order to be the church. There's something that shows up in your life that allows a broader connection than it's just you and God. We're doing more than that. And then the last value we have is always getting better. We want to leave space for the Holy Spirit to come along and say, we want more from you. We want more from your life. We want more from your church. We want, we want to do better. And so we leave that space open and available. Here's the thing. We can be from radically different generations. We can have different opinions about all kinds of stuff. And we can experience unity. It's based on choices that we make. One of those are going to be the values that we have. Getting the right idea that not everybody has to think the way I do, see the way I see things in order for us to have unity. It's possible if we're willing to do the work, the hard work together. We could put on display for the world what it looks like to be different but one. And my friends, the world needs us to show up. Can I pray with you? God, I've uh, loved hearing the small laughter of identification on all kinds of different things. The differences in our generations, the way we see things, the way we interact. It's real. You've made us different for a reason. And at the same time, you've written into your scriptures a very clear desire to see us be united, to see us have a sense of oneness and unity. God, I ask that you would help us to embrace the hard work of that, that we would step in and realize that if we could do this, if we could find a way to love each other well, to show compassion, to be sympathetic. At the same time, we could hold up an image to the world that is fractured and fighting. We could show them something different. This is who we are. Give us the courage to love each other well, to look past our differences, to understand God, I'm excited as we step into the next three weeks to look at some key ideas that are going to help us become who we were meant to be together. Thank you for this call to build us up to maturity and unity. Love it. Lead us in Jesus' name.